0: Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in First Thessalonians. <clears throat> so if you have a Bible, you can turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have a few of them in front of you on the pew, in front of you, and you can use that. You can flip there, and, and as you turn there, I want you to imagine <clears throat> that someone came into our city. and says so someone came here to Augusta. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let's say they came and they spoke at the uh, James Brown Arena or the Bell Auditorium, and you went to the, to the event, you heard them speak. And let's just say his name was Paul. And let's say you heard this man speak, and what he had to say, after you heard him speak, you, you got the content of the message, and you, it, it kind of sunk in, it changed your world. It just turned your world upside down. Everything he said just resonated with you. And that's because, let's say you, you know, growing up and pretty much all your life, you had this kind of gravitation towards believing there's a God. And you looked around the world and you seemed to think that there seemed to be things that are right and seemed to be things that are wrong. You see things that are lovely and beautiful, and yet at the same time in the world, you see things that are evil and tragic. And so you realize that this world, it's, it's, it's wonderful, yet at the same time it seems broken. And you long for it to be, at least you think, in the—you know, better, or you long for it to be more than it is. And so all of this is going around in your mind, and you hear this man speak, you hear Paul speak, and he shares with you about God, and he tells you who God is, that he made the world, he made it good. And then, at a certain point in time, mankind turned their backs on God. And they decided to try to build their lives apart from God. It's what the Bible calls sin. And this sin corrupted the world. And that's why you have the tragedy you have, the death, the disease, the evil. And he said, but God is a God of love. He's full of grace and truth. And He loved you so much that He sent His own Son God took on flesh, He dwelt among us. He died on the cross, and when He died on the cross, He absorbed the consequence of sin, so that you can have forgiveness if you turn your life over to His hands. And through conquering death, God raised Him from the grave after three days, and by doing that, He gave assurance of the promise that Christ will make all things new. And so as Paul's sharing this with you, you're sitting there and you're thinking, this this really makes sense. I mean, all the pieces are coming together, and it just revo- it revolutionizes the way you see the world. Uh, it opens your eyes to who God is, and you decide to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And several other people do as well. Not everyone, but several do. And over the next several weeks, Paul stays around town, and you get to spend time with him and his friends, and you get to hear more about who God is and how... To walk with God and how to live with eternity in mind, and not just just for temporal things. And you know, not everybody in the town, not everybody in the city is pretty is not everybody's excited about the gospel and about Christ and what Paul's preaching. And there's rumors about opposition, you know, bubbling up, and there's threats against Paul and those who name name the name of Christ. But even in the midst of this swelling opposition, Paul continues to share the gospel and continues to tell people about Jesus and continues to model what it looks like to walk with God. But then something strange happens. You wake up one morning and you go with some of your, some of your friends who have also placed their faith in Christ and you go to spend time with Paul and Silas and others and they're gone. And you hear that in the middle of the night they, they, they left, they left town. They went on to Columbia and Myrtle Beach. And they're making making their way around Macedonia, spreading the gospel. But they left just in the middle of the night. And so you wonder, I wonder why they left like that. I'm not real sure. And maybe you have some different thoughts about Paul. But one thing's for sure. You spent time with him. You saw his love for God. And you know that message that he preached, that he shared with you about Jesus, resonated. It sunk in. You embraced it as true. And it changed your life and it continues to change your life. So yeah, you may have a couple ideas and thoughts and questions about Paul. If you ever see him again, that you'd like to ask him, you know, why would you leave in the middle of the night? I'm not sure. But one thing's for sure, that gospel message, it was planted in your heart and it produced great change. And then you can imagine your excitement one day when you saw a man named Timothy come into your city on behalf of Paul to just see how you're doing because Paul's so concerned about you and he wants to know how you're doing. And so you share with Timothy all that's been going on, all that God's been doing. And then you're even more excited once Timothy goes back to uh, Paul and gives him his report and Paul pins the letter, 1 Thessalonians sends it to you, and you read it. And that first chapter tells all about how the gospel of Jesus Christ came into your city, and you embraced it, and the, and the rumor, the gossip is that you turn from idols, you turn from these temporary things of the world, and you turn to the living, true God, and news is spreading all over the surrounding area. And then going into chapter 2, which is what we're going to look at today, we're going to see not only how the gospel message came to the city of Thessalonica, but we're going to see how the gospel messengers came into the city. Paul's going to share about his motivation. Why did he come? How did he come? He's going to unpack that in chapter 2. And so if you can relate to that in just a little way, then you have a good feeling of you know, what those Thessalonians were feeling as Paul came into their city, shared the gospel, shared his life, had to leave, but then continued to check up on them and encourage them and teach them through his writing. And so turn with me to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. And I want to ask you this question as we read this. Because what we're going to see in this chapter is how the gospel messengers came into the city of Thessalonica. And it prompted me to ask a question of myself, and I want to ask you the same question. Is, And that question is, why do you share the gospel with people? We're going to see how Paul Paul shared it, how Paul shared it, but why do you share the gospel with people? what, What motivations are there? What causes you to do such a thing? Or better yet, do you share the gospel with people? Or have you ever shared the gospel with someone? Now I know that type of question has the potential to to pile on the guilt. It's like one of those questions: Do you pray enough? <laughs> do you read the Bible enough? And then the answer, the Christian answer, is always, "No, we don't." You know, we need to do a better job of that. And so this question could cause you to say, "You know, I'm not doing a good job at that, and I want to do a better job." And you, you know, kind of a guilt uh, inducing question causes this guilt-motivated action. That's not what I want to uh, do this morning. But I do want to ask the question, what causes you to share the gospel? And I think when we look at this chapter, in chapter 2, what we're going to see is we're going to see how Paul shares the gospel. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart and in my heart that we will actually see evangelism, which is the sharing of the gospel, sharing who Jesus is. We'll see evangelism like Paul saw. Evangelism. So let's look at verse 1. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty, it wasn't purposeless. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Prior to coming to Thessalonica, Paul spent some time in Philippi. And to read more about that, you can look at Acts chapter 16. So you can just make a note about that. But basically, Paul went into Philippi and he's sharing the gospel. And he ends up being beaten, imprisoned, and put in stocks. And yet, even in the midst of such unlawful persecution, because he's a Roman citizen, even in the midst of that opposition, he continues to share the gospel. And so what he's telling the Thessalonians is he's saying, you know, I've I've endured a lot of opposition to this message about Christ, and yet I continue to persevere. I continue to go to places that do not know about Jesus, even though I may face opposition. And the bottom line here is that Paul's motivation is a godly motivation. He He sees himself as being commissioned by God. He wants to do what God wants him to do. And he continues in verse 3 and he says, For our appeal, and what he means by this is, you know, when we share the gospel, our appeal to you, the way we share the gospel with you does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And what he's sharing is, our appeal to you, the reason we came to you, the reason we shared the gospel with you, it springs forth not from impurity or falsehood or some um, wrong motivation, but rather it springs from our relationship with God. We've been commissioned by God, we've been entrusted by God with this gospel, and Paul says, my life's purpose is to please God. It's not to please man. And so the question is, you know, for us, what, what does our gospel appeal spring from? Like what what motivates you to share the gospel with somebody? Why do you do it? Or why do you not do it? You know, what, what causes you to share Jesus? What causes you not to share Jesus with others? Paul, he explains that what motivates him is is this desire to do what God wants him to do, which is motivated by what God has already done for him in Christ. You know, he, has, he has tasted and he has seen that the Lord is good. And all he wants to do is share that with other people. He just wants to tell them about this great God that he serves. And what I've noticed in my own life, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well, is that when you seek to please people... when you're concerned about the approval of those around you, and you're concerned about what they think of you, you will tend to be quiet about Jesus and about other things of God when they're brought up because you want to please them rather than God. And we've all wrestled with that. And we know Paul wrestled with that. He knew what it was like to be slandered for the sake of Christ, imprisoned, beaten unjustly, for the sake of Christ. And yet he could still say, you know, what what I want to do, what I want to be about, is I want to tell people about Christ because I'm more concerned about my relationship with God and what God wants me to do than I am with what people want me to do. And so this prompts the question in my mind, and maybe it does in yours as well. You know, what has to happen in your life for you to be more concerned? about pleasing God rather than pleasing people. And it's not that we don't care about people, we do. Uh, Paul says in the book of Philippians that we should look out for the interest of others more so than our own. But at the same time, I believe he would say, is the biggest need we all have is to know Christ. And so therefore, I want to share Christ, I want to make God known, even if people, some people may not want to hear that. And Paul explained, when I came to Thessalonica, I shared the gospel. It was, it was planted in the lives of many people, but not everybody. Some people are going to embrace it. The pieces of the puzzle are going to fit together and they're going to become worshipers of Christ. And others, they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to think foolishness. And that's out of our control. But, but what's not out of our control is whether or not we're going to respond for the opportunities that God gives us to make Himself known. And I'll be honest, you know, with, and I know you probably experienced this as well. I wrestle with sharing Christ. And what I mean by that is I, I wrestle with opportunities. I wrestle with what should I say? When should I say it? How should I say it? Should I have said it? Do you wrestle with that? Thinking back over your day, over your week, thinking, I wonder if I should have said something there. I wonder if I could have taken that conversation a step further and told them about what Christ has done for me. I wrestle with that. Because many times I pass by opportunities. And I just don't, I don't share Christ. Because I'm more concerned about other things. And I wrestle with that. But some of you do not wrestle with that. It doesn't cross your mind. And if that does not cross your mind, that is a cause for evaluation. Because I think what we see in the life of Paul and all the believers in the the Scripture is that when the Gospel comes into your life, when Christ comes into your life, and you experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that is found in Christ, you want to make Him known. And you wrestle with that. You wrestle with how to best make Him known. And if you don't wrestle with that, I wonder, have you tasted the goodness of God in the Gospel of Christ? It's a good question to ask yourself. Well, Paul goes on in this passage to further describe how he came to the Thessalonians, and he uses two metaphors. Now think about this. If you were to describe someone who shares Jesus with other people, what metaphor would you use? Just think about it. How would you Paint that picture to somebody. And now let me read these verses and see if you can pick up on the metaphor that Paul uses in verses 5 through 8. He writes, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing Mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I don't know if I would have led with that metaphor. (laughs) If I was thinking about someone sharing Christ with someone, I don't know if I would have gone to the nursing mother picture. But Paul does. He goes there. He says, How can I describe how I came to you with the Gospel? Like a nursing mother. Because we affectionately desired you. And this term there is a term that was uh, used at times uh, describing a parent's desire to be reunited with a lost child. You know, I desire to be with you. I want to be near you. I want to be with you. And then he says... We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Paul's saying what we did not do is just come in order to download a bunch of information into your brain. Okay? Even though the gospel is a message, it is propositional truth. It is something that needs to be proclaimed correctly and understood rightly. And if you don't believe me, you can read Galatians. Paul is very adamant about preaching the right gospel, what the true gospel is, because there is no other. There's only one. But at the same time, sharing Christ is more than that. It's more than just downloading information. Paul says we came not only sharing the gospel, but sharing ourselves. Giving of ourselves. We didn't come to town just to give a lecture, but we came to give our lives. Because the gospel, it can be shared in a number of different communication formats and people can come to Christ, but discipleship can only happen in a relationship. And so that's why we see Paul saying, yes, we, we wanted you to get this information about who Christ is and believe it, believe it rightly. But we also want to give, a, give you ourselves because that's what God made us for, to be in community, to be in relationship with one another. And so who are you sharing your life with? Are you sharing your life with someone? There's a, there's a familiar, very familiar saying. It's so, it's so familiar, I hesitated to even share it. But I'm going to anyway. That people don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. Right? And there's a lot of truth to that. There's another saying that's similar by a lady named Simone Weil, an early 20th century French philosopher and Christian mystic and social activist She said this. She said, attention, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Attention, giving someone your attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. And this was in the early 1900s. Imagine what she would say today. (laughs) I think she would put that in bold with with a number of exclamation marks at the end with our many devices that distract us. But just giving someone your attention is the purest form of generosity. So I want to encourage you. Vacation Bible School is coming up this week. Uh, several other opportunities to minister to our community are going to be coming up within these 40 days of ministry and beyond. As we go out and we minister, even as we spend time with these children, many of you will spend time with these children this week, Yes, we're, we're, we, want, we want to communicate biblical truths to them, but let's communicate more than that. Let's communicate ourselves. Let's give ourselves to them. Or when you're in the grocery store or talking to that waiter or waitress today, just just don't let this just be a transaction. But give of yourself. Give your attention. Look, listen to what's happening around you. Give of yourselves, and that's exactly what Paul did. And I think that's what we should do as well. And the second metaphor he shares is a timely one, especially since we're celebrating Father's Day. In verses 9 through 12, Paul says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He uses the metaphor of a father and his child. And he uses three participles to explain his concern. That fathers exhort, they encourage, they charge. And each of these verbs... Uh, They get stronger and stronger as it goes through these, these three. And the idea is the father comes in and the father wants his child to do what's right. To do what God wants him to do. And so we urge our children to do what's right. We encourage them that you can do what's right. God can enable you to do what he wants you to do. And then we charge them, you really need and you must do what's right. And Paul says this fatherly concern that he has is what prompted him to come to them and say, here's who Christ is. Will you follow Him? And I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, I want to charge you to walk with God for a lifetime. Now as you think about fathers, even this morning, several of you have fond memories of your father. But not all of you do. Some of you have memories of, of fathers that were kind of checked out, that were indifferent, that were passive, that were perhaps abusive. And what I find interesting in this passage is that Paul tells us that no matter what type of father you had or have, that your Christian community can act as a father to you. And I see this happening, especially when you have an older Christian Pouring their lives into a younger Christian. And this is exactly what happened to me. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And I went off to college barely knowing the gospel. And yet, an older Christian man started pouring his life into me. Not only teaching me biblical truth, but modeling it. And exhorting and encouraging and charging me to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so who, you know, who are we sharing our lives with? Who are we challenging and encouraging and urging to walk with God? How would you, how would you characterize your gospel appeal? What's your motivation? Is your motivation springing forth from your relationship with God? You know, are you trying to please people? Or are you trying to please God? And are you willing to share the gospel and your life as well? These are how, these things were true of these, these gospel messengers as they came into Thessalonica. And I hope that's true of us today as we go into our city. Both today and into the days to come. Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning thankful that you are our Father. And that we can call you Father because of the work that Christ did on our behalf. Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. Perhaps this morning the pieces of the puzzle are fitting together. And they're in a place where they're now ready to worship You as their Father, as their God. Lord, I pray that You would do that great work by Your Holy Spirit. There are others here, Lord, that only You know where they are, and You know what they need to be challenged with. May Your Holy Spirit roam free in their hearts to show them how You would have them respond to Your great work and Your great news and this great opportunity to walk with You.